We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome into the RotoWire NFL podcast. John McKechnie here, joined by Mario Puig on this Wednesday. Mario, how you doing, man? I'm pretty good. I'm fully distracted because I have an NFBC draft in like five hours, but I'll pretend I'm paying attention to this. I recently looked at your uh, Twitter and your new bio says I actually prefer baseball. So I, I see that we, you know, I'm doing the seasonal, uh, you know how when people change their handles to like Halloween themed things <laughs> like spooky Mario. Yeah. I can't really do that. So I, I guess I'm just kind of going to use the uh, location and bio area to put like weekly, you know, stupid thoughts. And uh, that's this week's. I like it. You're a Twitter revolutionary. Um, so I guess uh, let, let's start things off breaking down the, the kind of newsworthy NFL things from the week before we uh, dive into a little bit of draft discussion. We do have the combine starting up next week. We got the players reporting, uh, you know, weigh-ins and such on Tuesday, and that goes through Monday, March 5th. So there's a lot of combine stuff uh, coming up right around the corner. I can't believe how quickly it's gotten here. But again, uh, let's get into the NFL stuff. Last night, the big news, uh, Jarvis Landry getting the franchise tag from the Dolphins. Pretty huge number for for one year for a guy like Jarvis Landry. Um, What was your initial reaction here? And and is this the the kind of smokescreen that a lot of NFL reporters have been saying is just like a a sort of prelude to a trade? Right. I don't know what 
logistics need to be assured for that to happen. But with Landry, you would think there's not a realistic long-term role for him on the Dolphins, at least if both of um, Kenny Stills and Devontae Parker stick around. But Landry at 16 million is a no go. Like, I don't know what, I don't know how you can work with that. So if he's maybe able to be traded for like less than two first round picks, I don't know. I can't remember how the franchise tag works exactly. I remember for the longest time it was like, it was framed as like a trigger type thing. Like the franchise tag means you got to trade two first round picks. But I think we saw like Matt Castle get traded for a second. So maybe it's like they're just putting it on and we'll, Except pretty much anything for him, I don't know. But he's not worth that much. And I don't think that there are more than a handful of teams dumb enough to be willing to pay more than like, you know, ten million a year for him. And teams sometimes bid against themselves, but I don't know, generally I, I wouldn't want to bet on that. So I have no idea where it's going. I guess if I had to put some kind of prediction down, I would say he's just gonna play one year in Miami for more money than he's worth. And then next year they'll be like, Oh, that didn't work out. So we'll just let him walk this time. Yeah. I I think that that kind of seems like um, a realistic possibility. I don't know what would happen in terms of potentially a trade for, for this year where like the, the other team or like Miami maybe willingly eats some of the salary off of the 16 million to, well, that goes away palatable. You'd think if someone traded for him, then they would also try to get a, they wouldn't do it unless there was a long-term extension in mind. And the franchise tag, only takes effect for the year if Landry actually signs it, which like, I almost wonder if this is going to be kind of a similar standoff to to maybe what was talked about with Kirk cousins, where it's Mm -hmm. like they put the franchise tag on him technically, and then kind of like pull the offer the second he actually drives up to the team (laughs) headquarters to sign it. Cause if they, if he signs it, then they have to pay him it. It's like a trigger. It's, it's automatic. So, but in the meantime, until he signs it, it's, I don't even know what is finalized if anything. So, I don't know. We'll see. But in the end, Jarvis Landry is not worth this. He's a slot receiver and the slot receiver is becoming kind of a foundational piece. I think of the modern passing games, at least with this current paradigm we have, but paradoxically it's a position that's really low replacement value. Like you can find someone who's good at it for very cheap. So I I don't think any team that's vaguely smart will try to acquire Landry for more than like, I don't know, eight million a year or something. Right. And we're looking at twice that. Like he's got, he's got you know very good hands and all that, but like so much of his production is like empty calories and like from like a fantasy aspect, like he's a he's a fine player, especially like PPR type stuff. But when it comes to like real on the field production and, and kind of like helping move your offense along, like it, he hasn't really shown to be great with that. I mean, eight point eight yards per reception last year, uh, the worst mark of any receiver with more than forty catches. Only Cole Beasley had worse uh, for a receiver with thirty plus catches he was six worse in the league uh in terms of or in that mark uh, with at least 30 targets 6.1 yards per target overall on 112 targets i mean that's just not efficient production that that's not that doesn't scream 16 million at all right he's uh, he's better than a lot of people are portraying him like he's he had 8.7 yards per target in 2016 so he can do some things that are pretty good it's just that we haven't seen Jarvis Landry put up big numbers in a healthy passing game. And I don't think that's a coincidence. It's like when Jarvis Landry is getting a hundred plus catches, it's probably because you're not scoring touchdowns as an offense and you're Mm -hmm. checking down to him on a third and eight for six yards. So he's a good enough player. It's just the market right now, the way it's setting up the demands of the dolphins, presumably uh, as far as exchanging his rights, I just don't see how it, how it resolves itself, especially when, 
no matter how good he is, he's he's basically a high end scenario of him is he's a wide receiver two functionally, and he can only pretty much function in the slot. So that that's useful for somebody, but not at sixteen million or anything close. No, and you know for for context, you know th- this receiving class coming up, and we'll dive a little bit deeper into it uh, next week. But you know this is a class that a little bit short on top end talent, but there there's a bunch of guys that could probably do similar things to what Jarvis Landry can do. And for you can 15th find of the prize, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, you find them in the fourth round or, or later, and there's still guys that are uh, contributing to your team early on in their career. So you, you again, you can replace that kind of production that landry has for for you know a fraction uh, of the cost you have any other final thoughts on landry here before we move on not really i guess i'm just going to be staying away from the dolphins indefinitely because i just don't trust anything about their management or even their personnel just it just feels eerie to me that whole team yeah the the whole pretty much the entire miami sports uh lexicon right now between the dolphins Oof. and the marlins it's just <laughs> it stinks to high heaven so yeah i think saving money though <laughs> of course not yeah. the dolphins but you know <laughs> but yeah the marlins that's a different podcast but um uh let's go move on uh some news came out wednesday uh that alshon jeffrey uh underwent a rot- rotator uh cuff surgery an injury that he actually played through the entire season uh supposedly so for for him to do what he did it wasn't uh the, like the most efficient year ever but he made plays when he needed to he was definitely a key receiver for that offense so that, that was impressive stuff for him but the initial concern right now is that he his availability into training camp or maybe even preseason is a little bit uh suspect right now yeah i would imagine he'll be pretty much okay for training camp like he's the kind of guy who especially given his hamstring history they're probably not going to overwork much in training camp to begin with so it's just kind of a pretext for deserved veteran days off probably if anything he's a player i'm fully sold on and i think after about the first six weeks of last year you could tell like he's gonna go off because he was getting the target volume the whole time and the ways that it was going wrong with him and Carson Wentz was pretty clearly an issue of just uh chemistry like there were times where Jeffrey was a bit open Wentz missed him there were times when Jeffrey wasn't going where Wentz thought he would go stuff like that and you knew that wasn't going to last forever so if he he was producing okay despite all this you knew it was like okay this is going to change and when it does he's going to go from pretty good to really good and at the very least this uh news of the rotator tough rotator cuff tear i think makes clear that the extension they signed him to was a really good idea absolutely yeah so i mean that yeah this definitely you know but bodes well uh what were the what were like the parameters of that four-year deal oh, i don't i don't remember off the top of my head i think it was i think it was actually less than uh what, what our jarvis landry figure was but uh let me let me actually just pull this up real quick yeah that's um, but either way i mean for for him to kind of be locked in as a key cog of this he's a wide receiver for, one yeah totally right? yeah and he's he's not a slow big receiver but he, he is a big receiver and like we saw in the super bowl he can he can go up pull the pull the ball down even if he's not open but he will get open too so he finished last year with just 789 nine touchdowns at 6.6 yards per target every year in the every year but one in the previous four he was at 8.6 or higher on bad bears teams so by now in dynasty if you can because he's going to be i think regarded as like a borderline top five fantasy receiver um, probably by mid-season next year but in any case uh, let's see the contract 
Listed at four years, fifty-two million. So that's thirteen. Yeah, that's a lot, lot better deal than the Jarvis Landry one. Yeah, no question there. And you know, like, like you were saying, uh, maybe the the efficiency dropped off a little bit last year with, with the miscommunications, and probably you know some of those numbers get dragged down a little bit because uh, you know those last three weeks of the season, Nick Foles wasn't exactly lighting the world on fire. Let's be let's be real about that. So they're probably they're you know extenuating circumstances that plus the fact that he was just playing on a hurt shoulder all season Mm -hmm. uh you know when he does come into next year fully healthy um you know assuming assuming yeah assuming that uh everything goes well in his recovery i know that's not always the you know the safest assumption in the world but you know we have no reason to believe that it won't right now so uh, everything looks good for him it's not you know something to be overly concerned about i'd say Right. I think you're going to be able to get him as a wide receiver too next year in 12 team leagues, but I, I really like his chances of finishing top eight, top five, if, if uh, he has kind of a career year, which I am expecting actually. Yeah. I mean, uh, that offense doesn't show any signs of slowing down. It's going to get Carson Wentz back. Um, yeah. I mean, the Eagles, I don't really see them going anywhere anytime soon. They're, right. Wentz should well. get a little better actually. Like he had a kind of higher end of his potential outcomes last year before he got hurt but the foundation of his skill set is probably going to get even better so uh, as much as he might have been you know really hot last year i think you're going to see him kind of make that more like the standard level of play yeah no i think that that's a really good way of framing it so again uh, arrow continues to point up uh, in philadelphia and again the the uh, alshon surgery just something to you know keep in the back of your mind but for now not nothing to be overly uh, concerned by uh, mario you also wanted to talk about today uh, frank gore uh, likely his days in Indianapolis are done. He does want to play in 2018 by all accounts, but uh, it's not going to be in blue and white. It doesn't seem like. Uh, what are you, what's your initial reaction there? Well, I guess we got to watch this because it could set up a promotion for Marlon Mack, their fourth round pick from last year. Who he's he's kind of a bit polarizing, I guess. It's like everybody seems to agree that he's got talent as a pure runner. It's just that people have different takes on just how practical his skills are like is it is it going to just remain theoretical is he going to be explosive but never get the ball is that going to be the story of his career kind of like christine michaels sort of player but uh we'll at least i think see him get the chance here and i'm agnostic on him for the most part beyond the the general point of him being good open field runner the other parts i think are less given but if gore's out of the way that's a big clear positive i think because even if they draft somebody in the you know third fourth round or something to compete against mac he's got a year in the league that helps and what held him back like his rawness was specifically something that was a result of lack of experience so he's probably going to be able to show his talents much more clearly in his second year than if, than his first even with them you know changing systems okay I, I see what you mean especially as far as uh you know not getting consistent opportunities last year behind gore so theoretically you know the the door should be open for him but in my mind like did he really do enough last year and i know you can't just like completely throw uh, a guy out the window for for not like lighting the league on fire as a rookie you know like alvin kamara did um but at the same time did he do enough to really preclude indianapolis from addressing running back earlier than the third round in a draft where there's a ton of running back talent i feel like that's something dumb to do and for that reason i guess we can't rule out the possibility given the ownership of that team but 
the Colts have enough problems at more premium positions sure. that it'd be pretty frustrating if they spent a, even a third round pick on a running back, in my opinion. So I'm going to try to be optimistic and hope they don't spend their first, second, or third round pick on a running back who objectively doesn't have great odds of being better than Mac anyway. Okay. Just, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a low replacement level position, and Mac seems like at least a good replacement level candidate. So, uh, before spending money on that position, they should make sure they have an offensive line that they can field and a defensive line, a cornerback rotation, things like that, which they don't have. No, they don't. And, uh, you know, that certainly showed last year in addition to, you know, uh, lacking the quarterback. And, you know, we the Andrew Luck thing is, is again, like another, a whole other podcast. Yeah, maybe consider a, a backup quarterback before you get a backup or your new running back generally <laughs> yeah be, yeah things uh yeah. i guess they got preset already so never mind it'd but. be a luxury position to to be addressing that that early but i don't know my, my main thinking there was, was just more along the lines of that this class is really good at running it back is, yeah. and, uh you know i i feel personally that whoever they were if they were going to find someone that early that they would probably be better than marlon mack but but again yeah. it uh there are so many other leaking holes on that ship to where like it wouldn't make a ton of sense like it's not the most pressing priority right now right they and they could get a guy in the fifth or sixth round at running back who could still put pressure on mac like there's no reason to take one earlier but it's it's probably going to be like a committee of some kind one way or another it's just uh, in fantasy at this point we're we've reduced our running back strategies to basically having to take those lottery tickets and scatter them and just try to find them at the right prices and then hope that you're on the you know the lucky side of the injuries that happen yeah like you know for every Deontay Foreman share that you got in a best ball league last year maybe you matched it with a Camara and you know obviously some of those panned out and you know helped you help you cash out in those leagues and other ones you know your Foreman shares didn't really do anything for you so uh yeah there is kind of like that lottery ticket element to to a lot of these running backs these days uh let's shift gears and another sort of lottery ticket type uh so AJ McCarron gets uh, declared as an unrestricted free agent once once the new league year starts on March 14th I want to say um so he he will be available to anybody it seems like and obviously the Browns kind of famously tried to trade for him earlier earlier this year right around the deadline and then that there's all the rumors about the Browns celebrating without sending in the proper paperwork or something I don't know how true that was but still a pretty hilarious story but you know bottom line here uh what what are your kind of like skills breakdown of McCarron because for me at least he was a little bit better than I was expecting in uh 20 was it 2015 when yeah. uh when he takes over for Andy Dalton but that offense itself was was just clicking a little bit better than, than it has in recent years just in general <laughs> yeah. um but I thought McCarron was was a career backup coming out of Alabama so he showed a little bit more than what i could have possibly hoped for him but again it's been two years now since he's really seen any meaningful playing time so it's hard to project and know exactly what you're getting from him right it seems like we we have enough of a recent history of Hugh Jackson specifically trying to get AJ McCarron and this might have been kind of uh like scheming with the owner behind the back of the GM is what was going on there because Sashi Brown by not being just generally hostile to demonstrable facts and numbers, didn't want AJ McCarron. That would be completely out of character if Sashi Brown wanted McCarron, which I guess led into the whole thing about like, did 
you know, did Sashi Brown sabotage the facts? <laughs> and if he did, that's awesome. Good job, Sashi. I hope he did. That's <laughs> well cool. Played. Yeah, uh, because yeah, Hugh Jackson was just scheming with their fetid owner to get you know they, he wanted to trade a second and third round pick for this guy who's an unrestricted free agent now and is you know he's going to cost a little bit, but whatever contract he's going to get, they would have had to given him as an extension anyway. So there was literally no strategic reason no sound investment strategy that would have entailed trading a second and third for McCarron. So Hugh Jackson's lucky if it was Sashi. Well, who, he's, uh, he's lucky in general. I mean, come on. One he's he's really not making himself a sympathetic character at no, this sir. point. And in the story of him versus Todd Haley is so obvious and it's going to be awesome. And it seems like no one's really caught on to it yet. I can't wait. Wait. Yeah. Can, can you uh, fill me in on that a little bit? Oh, well, it's just they, they hired Todd Haley as the offensive coordinator, right. which means he's going to run that offense. And it kind of means that John Dorsey, the GM, who basically Hugh Jackson conspired to bring into that job by trying to backstab Sashi Brown. True. Uh, that guy immediately brings in Todd Haley. says like, hey, thanks for, for uh, doing your uh, trader stuff, Hugh Jackson. Uh, we're demoting you. You're, you're, you know, you're going to be the head coach, but it's ceremonial. Todd Haley's going to call the plays that you used to call. So Todd Haley's a guy who gets in fights all the time. Right. And Hugh Jackson's probably going to do toward him as much or worse than he did toward Sashi Brown. Like if you think the scheming's over, oh boy, like you're going to get some good TV you weren't expecting this fall and it's (laughs) going to be awesome. But AJ McCarron, I think given Hugh Jackson's uh, apparent suction with the Dorsey types and the ownership, I think he'll be able to get McCarron in town uh, and then that would kind of set up, you know, the, the stopgap candidate while they spend uh, one of their first rounders on a quarterback that presumably would sit a year. But I wouldn't take it for a given because I don't think AJ McCarron's very good. That's just the timing of it seems weird. And um, I guess the sense of, you know, if you're bringing in McCarron uh, as an unrestricted free agent, like how long do you think that deal is like three years or something? But It'd like, probably be just like one of those fake contracts, whatever way it is, uh, like, like four or five like, years. And it's with all just, the walkaway clauses in it. Yeah. Just, just some kind of, you know, shenanigans that they, they probably make new ones every year for contract. Uh, just, just, uh, you know, manipulation, uh, just trickery generally. So gotcha. I, I think AJ McCarron, he's like, no one actually really thinks he's that good. He he won't cost that much. I'm guessing he'll get like a contract that basically pays him a lot this year and then they cut him. Okay. All right. That, that would, okay. Then you can kind of rationalize them spending one of their two top five picks, uh, in order to go get a quarterback and have him, uh, you know, sit for a year. I think Rosen or Darnold, in which case I would certainly bet on either one getting McCarron out of the starting lineup, uh, before the year's over. Yeah, I could definitely see that is, I mean, especially, yeah, between those two, uh, I think both those guys are, are pretty ready there. I mean, is there anyone else that, that is, you know, kind of showing themselves to have any interest in McCarron right now? Or do you think it, it's, you know, odds on heavy favorites, Browns, Browns and McCarron? I don't know of other ones. I, I would just say that since Hugh Jackson already attempted and went to rather great lengths to make the attempt to trade for McCarron last year, I would assume he's still on that scent. Okay. Yeah. I think that definitely, you know, that all lines up uh, to me. That makes sense. So, yeah, seems like McCarron. Like, uh, I bet he gets less Brown. than even like Case Keenum. You know, like I, I don't think I think these are basically scraps we're talking. Yeah, I think yeah, that's that's a pretty much uh, that's a fair way of kind of boiling that down. Uh, let's move on. We got another uh, 
kind of interesting roster move here. Doug Martin uh, gets the axe from uh, from Tampa Bay, so that opens things up in, in a pretty big way uh, as far as what Tampa has in its backfield. There, there's really not a whole lot there between Peyton Barber and Rodgers and, and all that. So Martin's gone. Where do you where do you foresee him like being a good a decent you know landing spot and also do you think that this changes what what Tampa wants to do and even in the first round I think that Martin's probably just toast at this point and even if he isn't I don't know why if you're an NFL team you would bother signing him in free agency like even on a minimum minimum deal he's not going to be particularly cheap considering you could get probably better output from a cheaper contract in the fifth or sixth round of the draft so. Yep. I wouldn't be surprised if we just don't see Martin except for, you know, in the middle of a season when somebody's guy gets hurt and some team wants to get someone on the field at that point. I think but if someone runs into like a Redskins situation from last year where all the running backs get injured. Yeah, basically. But we'll see. I mean, he I don't, he's had such a weird recent history between injuries and apparently kind of like personal issues and Dirk Cutter's got such a bad operation in Tampa. It's, yep. It wouldn't be the weirdest thing if he actually was still vaguely useful and Cutter just blew it somehow. I don't know, but it's just the, 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 the position is not valuable, and there's enough guys out there waiting for a shot, and they're younger than him and cheaper. Yeah, uh, unfortunately, yeah, it does kind of seem like the, the best of Doug Martin uh, is probably already come and gone here. I guess like what, like this uh, 2015 season, he was was his last really good one. Uh, wasn't it? Years, wasn't it? Based, yeah, it's been just disasters for the most part. Uh, but in any case, I feel like Tampa's remaining backfield is just so bad that we almost want to bet on the field starting because like Peyton Barber. Granted, he exceeded my expectations last year, but he's also just one of those guys who you can tell is just a testament to how low the replacement value is at running back. Like you don't need someone who's actually any good to get sufficient utility from the position. So he'll get some kind of, I think, uh, you know, incumbency advantage going into the year. Cutter seems to like him a fair amount, but (laughs) the odds are if they bring in any running backs, they're probably going to be better than him. And the opportunity to prove it is a different matter. Like I think Barber will have again, some sort of that momentum from last year, but if it's a fair competition, he's losing to almost anybody they bring in. Okay. And now like a a fair bit of steam has come out as to, you know, the bucks going as high as, or thinking about if, if a guy like Saquon Barkley's on the board, they go after him at seven. That would be, I don't know. I, I, I don't like the pick in terms of an, uh, you know, resource allocation, but I do think Barkley's really good. I think even a coach as bad as Cutter would have a hard time messing it up as far as getting big production out of him. But, you know, I'd, I would think they would look to corner, maybe safety even first. They're going to have to get an edge rusher to, besides Noah Spence, who didn't really step up last year. Right. They're going to. I assume they're going to they could use some help on the offensive line or something but I mean they're set at quarterback, receiver, tight end, so uh running back I guess if if Cutter is able to sway the uh you know the front office might be offensive minded that's that's his field. So I guess I could see Barkley happening there and and yeah again even Cutter I think would struggle to screw that up. Yeah, I think yeah, getting the getting like the difference maker there and like the the final 
piece of having like a, a really, really complete uh, skill position group w- would certainly uh, be interesting. But again, like you said, there, there are probably bigger areas of need on the Bucks. you know, maybe especially on the defensive uh, oh, yeah. side of the ball. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They need, they need a whole new cornerback rotation pretty much. And uh, yeah, it's, it's harder to find corners than running backs. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When you're looking for a credit card, get one that wins awards. The U.S. Bank Visa Platinum Card is NerdWallet's 2021 Best of Awards winner for Best 0% Intro APR and Balance Transfer Credit Card. It provides a great way to pay for large purchases over time, as well as consolidating other card balances. And speaking of award winners, the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card is NerdWallet's 2021 Best Credit Card for Dining Out or Ordering In. Earn four times points on takeout, food delivery, and dining. Get two times points at gas stations, grocery stores, and on streaming. If you're into cash back or travel rewards, U.S. Bank has credit cards that feature those benefits too. Check out their full suite of credit cards at usbank.com slash credit card. The creditor and issuer of these cards is U.S. Bank National Association, pursuant to a license from VCUSA, Inc., and the cards are available to United States residents only. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. All right. Yeah, no, I uh, can't really disagree with you there. So uh, let's move on. Uh, pass to Doug Martin. We're going to jump into our quarterback and running back discussion heading into uh, Combine. Again, Combine players are reporting as of Tuesday of the of next week, late February, and then uh, it runs through March 2nd, I, I want to say, or March 5th, I want to say. I'm sorry. Uh, so let's get into the quarterbacks first. Let's, let's, uh, let's go with our, our own top fives. Um, I want you to to get us started here. I mean, how are you seeing this class shaping up? So there's, in my case at least, the need to distinguish what I think will happen and what I would do if I were making those decisions because my personal rankings, Lamar Jackson's the top quarterback, Baker Mayfield is the second, Josh Rosen third, and Sam Darnold fourth. I like all of them a lot for various reasons, um, but because of the way the league has its personnel distributed right now and where the coaches uh, correlate to that distribution of quarterback talent i'm not as convinced that lamar jackson and baker mayfield are going to get the opportunities that i think they deserve and would best suit them so i figure rosen is the first quarterback picked if not him darnold basically because they're both the prototypical quarterbacks whereas jackson and mayfield are a little uh futuristic if not you know, unconventional and and experimental. So I don't expect these, this orthodox orthodoxy driven sort of front office situation in the NFL to be readily accepting of players like Jackson and Mayfield, at least not when there are Rosens and Darnold's in the same draft. Okay. So I I think that you, you do have the right uh, read in the sense that Jackson's probably not the first one coming off the board, but don't you feel like, there's a chance where say Jackson slides down a little bit. He's going to end up on a, on a better team. And I feel like whichever team ends up drafting Jackson is going to be doing so for the right reasons. And, and like with the intent of using him properly and, and trying to get the most out of what, of what he brings to the table, which is something that we haven't seen in, you know, maybe ever. Yeah. I don't, I don't know what to make of his prospects of landing in any particular place. Like looking at the first round, the first team that I feel like makes a lot of sense, like easily is Arizona at 15, Mm -hmm. but that's complicated by the fact that there might be Mayfield or even, I guess in some weird scenario, someone like Darnold might be there. So he might drift past that because of a 
comparable option being there. And after that, you almost you start to worry. It's like, okay, if he, he going late first, that's a good team. But what if he falls into the early second and some stupid team gets a shot at him there? Because he's not getting past the early second, in my opinion. But uh, in any case, I feel like depending the combine measurements, like if if Jackson has you know nine and three eighth uh, inch hands. That opens them up more realistically to a team that deals with cold weather, like Baltimore, uh, any North Conference teams generally. If he's got small hands, that's more of a concern for non-dome and especially cold area teams, and it would be valid. So that that's something to keep an eye on. If he's under six foot two, that would be a big deal. That would be held it against. Doesn't look like it though. No, I feel like he'll check in at basically the exact same as Deshaun Watson last year. Okay, uh, and I don't think. I thought Watson was listed. Oh, let me try to see if I can find this. Uh, Watson basically measured in at six uh, two two twenty one. I want to say, and uh, I feel like he was listed as not particularly more than that in college. He was listed at six three two fifteen. So that's a uh, pretty much right where Jackson Jackson's at six three two eleven. They're listing. Gotcha. So uh, if he if he checks in at six two two twenty, it's like the size concern criticism of him is just kind of ridiculous as long as the people making it uh didn't also wage it against Derek carr which i'm going to take the liberty of assuming most of them didn't nope <laughs> and uh in any case we'll see i think he'll be like 6'2, 220 don't know what to make of the hands but i mean he has such easy high velocity throws like that's something that would be weird for a small handed person to be able to yeah, dictate. I, I don't really remember much in the way of, of him coughing it up. Like, no, and he does, he, he moves it. the ball when he's running to the left and right hand really easily, even, even before setting up again to throw on a lot of plays. So he, uh, he's super, super athletic. Like he does like behind the back type dribbling equivalents as, as a ball handler in the, in a, the football field. Um, so yeah, he, he seems to have the ability to hold onto the ball and, and manipulate it as he feels like. So if, if I think he might be more like nine and a half, uh, inch hands, which case it's like, how does a team like Baltimore rationalize passing on him? Uh, because I mean, they're stuck in the past and, uh, it's Ozzy Newsom's last draft and everyone says they want, they want Calvin Ridley and, uh, they might cut Jeremy Macklin in which case I can they see only you're traumatized like four, about this. Yeah, 4 million allocated to receivers for next year. Ugh, yeah. So it's, uh, Oh, then they really need Lamar Jackson who is a wide receiver. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. yeah. Slash. Yes. Cordell Stewart. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's another Brad Smith folks. Um, anyway, yeah, ignore all those people who say that it's preposterous, yeah. but uh, yeah, as, as, as far as the other quarterbacks, I mean, let's, let's keep going with the hand talk for a second. I mean, that's a huge concern. Uh, you know, it's something that, that people are going to want to, you know, be invested in when it comes to Sam Darnold, because uh, you know, I watched his film. I, w- I watched a ton of his film. I watched pretty much all of his collegiate games live. And then I've been, you know, coming back through them over the last few weeks, uh, his game against Ohio state, he, he loses the ball a fair amount. Uh, he, he turned it over, I think 22 total times last season, <laughs> uh, 13 of those were interceptions. I want to say, so there were nine fumbles. So there there's, uh, you know, concern that despite being listed at six, four, two twenty, two twenty five, uh, he, he's going to check in behind or under the hand threshold that a lot of NFL teams have. Yeah. If he comes in at like nine and an eighth, that I think could push him to Arizona. Like that, that could be the scenario, how it happens. I have no idea where it's going. Like he, I mean, he being built like he is, I guess it would be kind of surprising if he had like truly 
small hands and, right. and it wouldn't be shocking if his turnover proneness was just because he's wild. But yeah, the combine will provide a lot of objective insight into that. Like if he has small hands, it's, it's all of a sudden like the turnovers might not be able to be fixed. Right. Uh, unless, he gets the, unless he gets the uh, Brandon Allen hand treatment or whatever. <laughs> did he did he have uh, he, like, his check, hands yeah, he, like checked in at the at the senior bowl and then like he was getting like electroshock on his hands to to get him bigger for the combine uh, I, I clipped all my ligaments in my wrists so i could pull my thumb back to uh my elbow yeah. <laughs> so now yeah so now i'm Worth now it. i'm threshold bound um but yeah i mean what else do you, do you see about darnell what, what are the things that you that you see you know translating well to the next level and what are some things that that you know might prove problematic well the people who put a lot of value or stock into the it factor are probably going to just be absolutely swooning over darnold and it's kind of understandable because there's these scenarios that he gets into in competitive settings where he seems to kind of transcend the moment and especially like that penn state game the bowl game comes to mind where uh, in hindsight, there was a lot of explosive talent in that game, and yeah. he kept them coming back against a, what at the time was you know well regarded defense. So uh, the, the over under didn't anticipate the outcome there, and that's kind of I think further testament to him. It's not like he was playing some you know weak defense in that game, and right. uh, there were high stakes. He kind of rose along with them, so that part comes out well. I think the arm looks totally good. I'm not. I don't know enough about coaching quarterback mechanics to give like a uh, qualified opinion on his footwork or throwing motion but when i watch the throwing motion uh, like we mentioned in the last uh, podcast it doesn't seem like he's got it as a means of creating like fake arm strength like it's not a wind up that he has to do because he's not strong enough to, to get the velocity on a shorter wind up it's like just kind of has this arbitrary arm slot mm-hmm. so uh if he if he can make whatever mechanical adjustments he might need to make in his footwork the footwork with- i definitely notice is is an issue a lot where you know maybe the the wacky arm motion comes from the comes from the need to generate that because uh he's off his back foot like a ton he, okay. he really does kind of what I noticed yesterday, especially when I was looking a little bit closer, and his offensive line failed him a million times against Ohio State, especially. But they have you know future NFL you know first first two round guys in Sam Hubbard, who's who's in this year's class, and then obviously Joey Bosa's brother. Um, but Darnold, like he he seems to break outside the pocket and, and move to scramble uh, a little bit like he's a little bit quick triggered in the, in that sense. So he just gets, you start scrambling and gets off script really, really quickly. It seems like, so he doesn't stand in the pocket, uh, willingly as much as you might uh think or at least that's how i kind of viewed it yesterday did you did you see that as much in 2016 though because there i feel like a lot of warts that came out this year that i did not see in 2016 right i, I mean like um as far as perhaps the change being explained by changes in circumstances, because I've, I've, I saw more of him in 2016 than of last year, actually. Okay. And when I watched in 2016, I thought he was like very advanced in pocket poise for a player who had just gotten on the field. Uh, basically. Oh yeah. We were totally in agreement. We both felt like he would have been the first, first overall pick if he was last year. So then at that point, the question is like, does last year happen because he had this weakness all along that was exposed or did something else change? Did the offensive line get worse? Did, uh, did losing Juju Smith Schuster to the NFL kind of, uh, you know, reveal a weakness or was it more like the, 
the alternative was unfairly uh, lesser to the point that like you can rationalize Darnold's failure with these things. And I, I don't know, I don't actually have an opinion, but I, I guess it's just like wherever we go from here, whatever Darnold's final tr- projection is kind of is based on your suspicion as far as the answers to those questions. And right. uh, cause I'm kind of pro Darnold leaning because I, I feel like when you're prodigal with your production and, and just general skills display, like he was in 2016, I, I, you always expect like the, you know, the fallback to earth eventually. But the, the bigger point is for me, usually when a player is that good, that young, it means that they'll have the ability to adjust after the adjustment to them is made by defenses. Yeah. Whereas the guys who break out when they're old might not have the ability to adjust when the adjustment inevitably comes against them. And I, I think he also, I, I know people like kind of say it, but I don't know how much that they like understand the extent to which Sam Darnold is really, really athletic. Yeah, like, he can run. Like yeah. he absolutely can. It, it, you know, it's you get kind of fooled because he wears the Sam Bradford sleeves a little bit, <laughs> so it looks a little bit clownish. But uh, yeah, a lot of the times when he's out there, uh, you know, scrambling or, or uh, you know, he tucks it and runs it. Like that guy is pretty fast. He has pretty good wheels. Like I'd say that he's probably mo- more mobile than like a Baker Mayfield. He's obviously not in Jackson's stratosphere, but I, I think he deserves a little bit more credit for the uh, the athlete uh, that he is as well. So. I, yeah, I, th- I still feel like in the end uh, he's a good bet, and he's a guy that that in the end will will be a successful NFL quarterback. Uh, but I also feel, um, as far as immediate impact, that Josh Rosen se- seems like the guy for this draft personally. And he translates most easily to any given scheme. Yeah, uh, like there's not a coach in the league who would say I don't know how to use Josh Rosen. Whereas with Lamar Jackson, there are some coaches who. And even if they like him as a player, they really sincerely would not know what to do with him. And I think that's their problem, not his. Like, it, right. Rather, it's their fault. It is Lamar Jackson's problem because this is part of what goes into, you know, teams making their boards. It's like they're not going to rank him high if the coach is just like, yeah, by the way, I don't know what yeah, to do. With I have him. no idea. So that is that is his problem. But it's, it's definitely not his fault. It's It's a it's a black eye on the coach for not being able to find a way to use this obviously useful player but in any case it's not going to be an issue for rosen so that that makes him just very stable like the most stable of these quarterbacks in terms of draft stock yeah and uh you know i think that uh, for him this year uh, to to bounce back from the shoulder injury that like coming into this year i i was uh, frankly pretty worried about what rosen uh, would do and you know i wasn't sold on that offense i don't think the weapons around him for the, for the most part uh, were all that good i do like jordan lastly we'll get into him they had a lot of drops him. last year yeah, him, him and lamar had a lot of drops and not so much for the other two yeah so uh yeah there was definitely that element for rosen but uh you know he comes out first game of the season against a&m leads this ridiculous comeback uh uses his tight end to like masterfully and he's he's always just kind of like moving defenders with his eyes he's really really good at that baker mayfield's really good at that too uh but rosen like his down the field touch i think and his accuracy uh in that sense uh is something that's a little bit underrated too i think that's something that that kind of sets him apart as well yeah that's why i would ultimately bet on rosen being the first pick i feel like to put darnold at the first pick would take some speculation of in not the most uh, charitable sort like just basically assuming the browns are stupid i guess and (laughs) 
you know, touche, maybe they are, but Rosen's the, the, the kind of quarterback that even the stupid guys pick with no trouble. Yeah. I mean, he, he really is like that safe. Like I really feel like his floor is Matt Ryan. He's about as safe worst. as it gets. It's yeah. like even, even like a Cam Newton had a lot of risk and I wouldn't put Rosen in personally, I wouldn't put Rosen in that grade of prospect, but it's like, as far as risk goes, you can't realistically expect it to be any lower. Like I, I think that Rosen, yeah, I think Rosen's safer than like what Goff was coming out to oh, a couple by years far, ago. Yeah, uh, more than once too. Yeah, so yeah, I think we both agree that if Rosen will at the at the very worst be one of the first two quarterbacks taken. And Matt Ryan is a good floor projection. I think I think we would expect him to be better, but his worst case scenario is still probably like an above average starter. Yep, yep, with, with not a star, with like a perhaps. couple of Pro Bowls yeah. mixed in uh, on a given year. But yeah, uh, Rosen definitely sold on him. So let's get into Baker Mayfield a little bit. Um, what sort of what sort of your expectation for him in terms of uh, a potential landing spot and, and like what 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 he does best and what might concern you for the next level? I just don't see any concerns. I know the height is it's some objective concern in the sense that when you run historical comps, the six foot tall quarterback doesn't have a long history of producing in the NFL. You're basically talking about. Uh, I don't know, maybe like Chad Pennington and then you're down to like Russell Wilson. So it's not a long history and it's in a lot of senses, no history at all. But I feel like Wilson has especially shown that a lot of the premises that went into the devaluation of a sub six foot quarterback just wasn't sound. Like it's, they want the tall quarterback because they want him to be able to see over the line. Like, I don't know how he does it, but Baker Mayfield clearly is seeing the field and he's not getting tipped at the line or anything like that. So like Brock Osweiler is, is a massive human being who like always gets his, his passes tipped at the line. Yeah. So it's, it's just, you can tell the scouting school invested in a false premise that tall means see field short, can't see field. Like that's just, they can't, they can't unbrainwash that out of themselves. Yeah. So they, they will believe it no matter what reason there may or may not be. So Mayfield has that going against him in the sense of his draft capital. I feel like wherever he goes, wherever he's picked, he's going to immediately make clear that it's just not going to be an issue. Yeah. So, uh, and I think it'll be a Russell Wilson type ascent too. It's like he might even go to a team that thinks they have their starter. They'll be wrong. Like it's going to be him. I think wherever it is, barring an extremely weird scenario, like, you know, falling to the chargers, I guess, or something like that. Uh, like there needs to be a, yeah, top I still tw- believe in the Cardale Jones era. Eventually, <laughs> I still like Cardale <laughs> a little bit, but yeah, it's um basically. I think there's a good chance Baker Mayfield is like a top twenty quarterback right away. Yeah, like, I just don't see any issues in his game. I don't. The, I think he's the really guy good. Is just absolutely lethal out there. Yeah, and yeah. I was skeptical of him because he got ran out of Texas Tech by Davis Webb. But it's like in hindsight, clearly that's it's just Cliff just a, Kingsbury. That's a Kingsbury fault. Yeah. Cliff Kingsbury doesn't know what he's doing, so uh, he was just like, get rid of this Mayfield guy. I can't use him. So, um, so he goes to OU, beats out Trevor Knight, who had just won the Sugar Bowl, right? Yeah, and against Al- was that after the Alabama one, or was that the or the other year? No, that was that was a year later, I think, even than that. Okay. Um, but yeah it's like the guy who beat alabama in a bowl game as like a redshirt freshman at quarterback it it wasn't even a competition it was like he got there and just won like before the team got anywhere near the fall they were just like by the way trevor knight will not be playing quarterback this year it'll be baker mayfield and you know knight couldn't throw the ball but he was a good college quarterback at least and if you can beat alabama with him must not be that terrible and yet yeah mayfield just kind of stepped onto the 
into the like the zip code or whatever, and they were just like, "This is this competition has ended." Yeah, so uh, I could definitely, yeah, if if he, you know, presumably he is going to land somewhere where there isn't a great starting quarterback. I think maybe we alluded to the idea of like you know someone signing case keenum but also doubling down and drafting a, a guy like mayfield yeah i would mayfield, add, mayfield would win the starting job i think and that that would be even if it was like a you know curmudgeon coach i feel like it would just be a, a laughable premise to watch practice and say like these guys are competing for the same job it's like no not even <laughs> close uh, but yes I, so i guess rosen at one makes the most sense to me the giants are saying they're going to start eli manning next year I, I guess i kind of have to believe them but I won't concede the possibility that if they take Sam Darnold at two, that Darnold still doesn't win that job. So, uh, but yeah, I guess I guess at two, even with Eli, like how can they possibly rationalize not taking a quarterback there? I, I just I can't imagine it. So I guess I got to think Darnold at two, and then you're talking trades scenarios after that because somebody will only be able to use Mayfield, like they won't be able to use Jackson. And they're going to try to, they'll motivate them to trade up, I think. So I don't know. Uh, One of, one of the Broncos or Jets, I guess, is what I would have to reduce Mayfield's options to, but I wouldn't rule out somebody, I guess. uh, I don't know. Like the Bills have two picks right back to back that they could package to move up if they wanted to. Yeah, that seems, that's the kind of team that I would think would take Josh Allen probably in the second round because i don't think josh allen's going in the first round but uh, i'm also only making that presumption because i think it would be a terrible idea to draft josh allen or at least to make him your like foundational prospect like he should be regarded the exact same way cardell jones was like he should be a fifth round pick with a cannon arm that no one knows if he's going to do anything or if he's going to be out of the league in a year uh but instead we're ridiculous entertaining these scenarios of allen maybe going top five it's not going to happen to albert breer it's not going to happen yeah yeah there was another one uh from another you know big name guy that that had allen still at number one that came out today oh he had him at two going to the giants it's like he's not gonna go in the top 15 he's bad he can't do it i I just can't believe we're doing this kyle baller routine again this is ridiculous like even with like the goal post from the 50 yard line like from his knees or whatever like didn't he do that yesterday didn't yeah he was doing kyle bowler that's literally kyle bowler yeah he's doing like these tricks like he's like hey guys remember that trick the backup quarterback for connecticut did josh allen can do it too like who thought this was a good marketing campaign I don't know. It's ridiculous. Anyway, he's not good right now. He's a bad quarterback. Maybe he'll be different, but there's quarterbacks who are good right now who people are saying are going to go after him. Stop it. This is ridiculous. This is silly. Um, So, yeah, I I think Allen, though, would make sense for the Bills because they're the kind of team that looks at Sammy Watkins and Marcel Darius and are like, this is bad. I can't use this. Don't like it. Like, so can we get rid of these two? Maybe get Jordan Matthews and EJ Gaines instead in here. Uh, let's get rid of this Ronald Darby. Who is he? Uh, so yeah, that's, that's consistent. I think with the bills, recent, uh, front office behavior to take Josh Allen in the second round, but even they're not going to take him in the first, in my opinion. So I think Jackson goes before Josh Allen. And like I said, if, if he has like nine and a half inch hands, I think Baltimore at 16 makes a ton of sense because, like i mean come on if he if he has the hand size and the the fumbling and the and the 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 slipped passes in in the rain or snow is or the wind is no longer a concern like the the, the velocity isn't a concern the wind's not knocking that ball down so if he has the hand size to project into the afc north 
I, I feel like he makes a ton of sense for, for Baltimore at 16. And if not there, I don't know, just somebody, somebody's got to take him. Like he's, I've seen some, I've seen some Lamar to the Steelers, maybe Jacksonville. That would, that, that would work too. fine enough. Cause I mean, you're not worried about uh winter games in the playoffs there. No. So I, yeah, I, th- I think he'll go, I guess I'll say right now for Jackson, I would guess either Arizona, Baltimore, maybe the chargers, but I kind of doubt it. And then all the way down to probably, probably, probably the, the Jaguars at 29, but would really be awesome is if, yeah, he went to the saints at 27 because Sean Payton has the, his model of offense based on drew Brees' skill set. But I think he'd be good enough as, as a coach to, to devise a new way to find a way to use a player like Jackson, especially in that dome with Kamara. You think, you think Peyton has enough left in his own tank where he's w- willing to hang around after breeze is done. Well, he's, he's not that, he's question. not that old. I don't I know, think. but like it, it's felt like there have been different times in the last, you know, few years si- since the saints won the Super Bowl. I think maybe this year put some wind back in his sails, but it's been like, is this the year that Peyton I you know, think, bows out of there? So the, the reason I think that happened was basically bad drafting. I thought the person, I, I don't think that Sean Payton does a good job with personnel at all. So uh, like the way they handled Graham didn't make any sense. The way they ended Brandon cooks didn't make any sense to me. Uh, so I think, that uh the personnel was undermining him mm-hmm. and that was his own doing probably given the kind of influence he has on that team but i still think in terms of you know just in-game tactics and strategy he's still probably open and shut top five i mean he's the only guy who's uh 50 plus or i guess peterson's probably in there but yeah like him and P- him and peterson are the only guys who are doing these things that the younger coaches like mcveigh are doing mm-hmm. the other coaches generally are doing the, t- the john fox thing where they don't change as they age whereas <laughs> peyton is at least showing an ability to adjust based on uh what you know is put in front of him on the field and if if he can do that then perhaps he can look at lamar jackson and notice like oh wow the safeties have to play up 10 yards high uh closer to the line of scrimmage than they do when we you know have drew Brees in there well maybe let's try this play that we can't run with drew Brees, but maybe would work with jackson and just kind of kind of revamps the offense that way once breeze retires perhaps but um in any case i feel like peyton's gonna be around a while he's only 54 he's he's just he just got started pretty young because he was like a man i can i can already remember when uh Jim Fossil took away the play calling duties from Sean Payton when he was the offensive coordinator for the Giants. Wow. Yeah, that, that, I guess that would have been 2000, actually. Jeez. What the yeah. hell? So oh, he's got to be... He that's, was, that's what cost him the Super Bowl. Yeah, he was 35 at the time or something. So yeah, he, he's just been quite accomplished for his age, and I bet he could stick around like another 10 years. Okay. All right. So that that's uh wow i, I don't have much of saints to saints and jackson but that that's definitely yeah we'll see i mean it's like it's not like they got anybody else you know so um and they don't really have many needs as a team either because that's true so they they absolutely crushed the lot they got like i don't think getting Lattimore at nine player. man yeah. that was ridiculous like it was a good pick but it was also the only pick you could possibly make there like at nine what what oh wow but yeah so i i think that's about all the quarterbacks that i have any interest in and like by the way we're trying to kind of get uh our for the record stances on the quarterbacks running backs receivers and tight ends all logged before the combine starts and for this one we're probably going to stop after running backs and then get to the receivers and tight ends next week but by then we'll have our full map of of basically all potential fantasy relevant rookies fully accounted for i think yeah so those will all be up on the site in the the next uh, handful of days beginning of next week at the at the latest 
Um, so yeah, let's let's move on to the running backs. I feel like we both probably agree that Barkley is the first. Fr- yeah, there's not much to say. Yeah. It's just a matter of where, I guess. Where probably not even that. Like it's it's like one of those things. Wherever he goes, like even Adrian Peterson, when they drafted him in Minnesota, they had Chester Taylor, and there was the stuff like, "Ooh, he's gonna have to beat out the veteran." And oh, like that, day that's, one that's of practice, we should wear it. Yeah, yeah. Day one of practice, it was just like, uh, "We're changing plans." Actually, <laughs> so that's gonna happen with Barkley. Like even if he goes to some team that had like a thousand yard rusher oh, last I was, year, I was more saying like just landing spot. Just uh, you know, does he go as early as the Browns at four? Does he go to the Bucks? I guess I'd be surprised if the Browns were dumb enough to take a running back at, at four. Um, but if you're going to do that, it would be Barkley that you use yep. to pick that high a running back. So, uh, like, I think he's a better prospect than Ezekiel Elliott and um, the other one that went, oh, Fournette. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I think he's definitely better than those two. So, uh, technically, it's not out of whack with the recent market. Yeah. So, yeah, that we have seen running backs go in the top five the last two years we've seen running backs go in the top 10 overall uh the last three years even he, even uh, the browns can't screw up barkley's no. rookie year in my opinion i mean it, it could but i think todd haley will get that passing game to overachieve despite hugh jackson's attempts to make the offense bad with his own opinions and uh if that's the case barkley's getting in on it somehow like we saw the way they use Lavian bell in pittsburgh yeah like i'm sure he can find a way to make barkley a big time Bar- fantasy factor yeah, barkley like coming out of school is was way better than what bell was i would say yeah and uh what are we going to put his over under on receptions at like 65 i mean if it's <laughs> less than that then like someone needs to get fired again so yeah, I, I think Barkley is going to be. I think right now I would probably say I expect him to be a top twelve fantasy player in I would, PPR. I would next feel year. better about taking him in the first round than uh, you know uh, going after a Fournette. Yeah, I'd much rather time. have him than Fournette. Yeah. yeah. So uh, so yeah, and even with the, the upcoming running back pool being much stronger, I, I still think Barkley could be like top five finisher as a rookie. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely like in the realm of possibility. Like he's he's that uh, special. Um, so really, it's just sort of like after one, like the rest of the top five is really subjective. Uh, it's always interesting to to get people's orders uh, on on what two through five looks like. But it, it's mostly a combination of uh, Nick Chubb, Sony Michelle. Darius Geis and Ronald Jones at this point yeah I I think that there is a possibility that Jones is the second running back taken he's getting a lot of helium right now I would still be surprised if it happened though and the reason is not because I'm skeptical of him I'm just skeptical of what kind of volume he can realistically take on in the NFL. Like in his current form, he's about six foot 200. Yep. We think he probably runs a four, three, five or something like that. I would guess that, you know, it's going to be either him or Hines that, that is runs the fastest 40 among running backs. Yeah. So Jones, if he's a four, three, five at 200 pounds, and this is, I'm basically basing this on his tape. Uh, but if he's running a four, three, five at 200, the odds of a 200 pound running back being a, workhorse type in the nfl are not very good like it can happen jamal charles made it happen but uh even he had his own durability issues at various points and uh he's an extreme outlier like we're talking like one every 20 years or something like that which maybe jones is the next one for the next 20 maybe not and uh if if he needs to get to 210 215 to be a workhorse to four four yeah it's like at what point is the uh escalation in his workload 
justified given the decrease in big playability that likely would come with it. So I think the best fit for Jones would be just let him play at 200 and don't ask him to carry the ball 20 times. Uh, And in that case, he's not like a foundational piece. He's like the Kamara of the offense, which isn't enough. Like sure. he, he, that's a really nice thing if to have your offense, but you like got Kamara that. in the third round, not the first. So we'll see. I'm, I'm kind of skeptical of him being the best bang for the buck, but I can imagine, especially if he lands in a good offense, I can imagine him seeming worth it. Even if it was like, you know, paying a dollar 10 for a dollar value or something like that. But the other guys, Chubb, Michelle, uh, guys, I'm not having any worries about them taking 20 carries. Sure. So I, I, I feel like Chubb is going to be the best of both worlds between, um, you know, athleticism and, uh, workhorse ability, but maybe the knee gets held against him despite the fact that he's clearly recovered from it. Maybe there's someone who's just, you know, they, they just say, these guys are all good. The knee is the tiebreaker. We prefer Michelle or Geis or Jones or whatever. But I think Chubb is going to come in at about 5'9", 5'10", 225, run a 4'5 flat at worst at the combine. If he doesn't run at the combine, I think he's running like – he could probably – in a pro day track, someone like Chubb, I would not be shocked if they got below 4'4 four, four flat because it's kind of like fake times. Yeah. Um, he, he can run a fake time with, with the best of them, I bet. Um, but I think he does like a four, four, five or a four, five flat at two twenty five. I bet his agility drills are really good. I bet the broad jumps really good. I think he'll show the ability to catch the ball in drills. Like he caught the ball a lot his freshman year and then they just never did it again. Right. And I remember it's some of those games. For. Yeah. And I remember some of those games and it looked like, you know, this, this guy is not worse than Todd Gurley. Like I, that was the first thing I thought, like I thought this is, there's no drop off from Todd Gurley to this guy. Yeah, there really wasn't. So I, I'm a huge fan of Chubb. I would guess he goes like late first, early second. And I think that's the same for Michelle Geis and probably Jones. But there's a lot to be determined in that at the combine, right? And uh, I guess moving, uh, you know, touching on someone else uh, from that same backfield, uh, Sony Michelle. Uh, he was a guy that I had been a little bit sour on his first three years because he came in as a bigger recruit at Georgia than, than Nick Chubb. He was a bigger deal. Um, Nick Chubb just kind of immediately outshines him. But Michelle carries the load after Chubb gets hurt uh, in 2015. Doesn't really do a whole lot, though. Like his, his yards per carry was pretty mediocre. Um, so coming into this year, I think he got a little bit bigger. I think uh, the offensive line play certainly played a role in him you know, getting uh, a little bit bigger holes to run through and, and such, but he also Seven. just showed the like the vision and the explosion. Like he just immediately gets up to speed in a way that like Ronald Jones does, but he does so like two or two hundred fifteen pounds. Uh, so really explosive guy for for his size, and he runs with a little bit more thump than I think people give him credit for because he's yeah. running next to Chubb. Yeah, and uh, with Michelle, it seems like he um, like, like he has that really quick getting to top speed in a straight line ability. And based on last year, I think you would have to say he sees the field pretty well. Like I don't expect to ever see a 1200 yard, 1200 yard rusher in the sec doing 7.9 yards per carry like that. You might see 7.9 yards per carry, but probably not at 1200 plus yards. That's just no. almost impossible to have that level of efficiency over that much of a sample size. So um, he seems to see the field really well. He probably manipulates safeties, blockers, linebackers pretty well. Um, he should test quite well. And what's interesting about him is it's uh, he is powerful when he gets up to speed. He's not so much powerful from what I've seen, like in the backfield, but when he gets to that, like 
when he gets to like his third stride, he starts running people over because he just has like so much momentum yeah, at that watch, point. If you watch the Vanderbilt tape, if you watch the, the Florida tape from this year, he's absolutely just trucking over people. And, and, you know, that's, that was just kind of a regular thing for him that this year, like his improvement, like no one in my eyes, uh, as a running back improved their stock, especially among the guys that came back, uh, for their senior years, more so than Sony Michelle did. I thought he was like a fifth rounder last year if he came out. Oh, really? Yeah. I was, I was always thinking of him as like a third, fourth and now probably like a first second, but yeah, he, he had an, an amazing year. Um, I, I would just say that the main distinction between him and Chubb, I think is Michelle has buildup power whereas chubb has anchor power like i don't know if the anchor power is there for michelle because chubb you can just you can hand the ball off and he just he just like stands there and he'll break a tackle like michelle i don't know if he can do that i think he kind of needs to get that velocity up before he can uh, you know get the momentum to actually break through an opposing force uh but yeah i I think he can be a potential workhorse and at the at least he'll be uh he'd be great i think in a kamara type role yeah i think he has a three down skill yeah i think so too it's just like i I think um like i wouldn't expect i guess barkley could do that but like chubb i wouldn't quite think would be able to do like the route running type stuff from the slot that kamara can do whereas with with uh, michelle Michelle, do that at at certain points in his georgia career yeah so i think i think he'll really stand out for his versatility and like if he tests similarly to jones how can he take jones ahead of him when we we don't really know what jones can do as a pass catcher he kind of did it okay he wasn't bad or anything and it was also the scheme didn't really give him the opportunity there's like almost no pass but with michelle we know he can do it and if he's if he's similarly athletic to jones at you know 15 pounds heavier than i feel like michelle should probably be ahead of jones but jones is much younger so there's 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 just a lot of ways to interpret these guys when they're this good and in, in slightly different ways. Yeah. It's, it's really, uh, I love this top five uh, among the running backs. Um, and then guys, we yeah, haven't even guys. had a chance to talk about, <laughs> but it's like, he's probably not the pass catcher that I, I would at this point project guys to be a worse pass catcher than Jones too, like worst out of the top five basically. Yep. But, uh, he's such a good runner when he just has the ball. Like he's, um, in terms of a pure runner like there's not many players like him going back a long distance either yeah, like, he's a violent strong runner and he's he, he gets up to speed in a hurry and he's really quick like yeah. he's, he's it's all like as, as a pure raw like this is almost a guy like if you were playing like backyard football you would pick first because it's just a matter of just you know losing people or something uh but yeah, he's 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 amazing at that. Yeah, like the showdown almost between him and, and Barkley as far as like freak show combine stuff is going to be something to watch. All these guys, I think, like the top five. I think Barkley's going to kill. Barkley will definitely kill the combine. I think Chubb will. We don't. There's some people who think he's like slow or something. I, I think he's going to kill. I don't. I, they must have like willfully ignored uh, the last year, or they just like really really put all their emphasis on ten carries from the national championship game. Yeah, it's it's stupid. But uh, yeah, I think Chubb's going to test really well. I think Michelle's going to test really well guys you would i think put more in that jones category as like the second like they're tied for second behind barkley and the expected combine performances probably but yeah all those guys are awesome and it's it's not until you get to the rashad penny and royce freeman types that you even concede the possibility that they're anything less than elite athletes Um, and those guys don't look like elite athletes or anything close. They might, they might only be like average athletes. You're kind of banking on their skill sets. I think based on their production, like maybe they can't run that fast in a straight line. Maybe they can't jump that high, but they're so good at things like seeing the field, seeing their blockers, uh, reading, you know, the blocker relative to the defender and identifying what kind of a gap 
uh, containment the defense is using and you know figuring out without even having the time to think about it which way to go and when and things like that that you can't really put that you can't describe to someone you can't really teach it they just seem to have it yeah because otherwise like you would think you can't produce like Rashad Penny seven and a half yards a carry. Uh, he had like nine two hundred yard games last year. Yeah, uh, it's pretty much it. Like it was more expect. It was more surprising if he didn't just absolutely crush the other team. Yeah, and it, he had a big game against Stanford, so it wasn't just the product of playing in the Mountain West. Like he just butchered everybody, and yep. it's like, how does this keep happening if he is slow and not good? Like it does. It's not possible. Like there, are, we've seen what bad players look like. It's not this. Yeah, and he's not running behind a pro offensive line. Right. So him and Royce, like Royce did it more at, at the you know higher level of competition at Oregon. But I think both of those guys basically look like they're going to run, you know, four, five, five at best, maybe pushing it four, six flat, maybe even worse than that. I don't know. But uh, the production says they'll find a way to overcome that if it is an issue. At, at least I think so. I I don't know what happened, but I think it was more of like an Oregon problem. But there, there was like a stretch when um, when Oregon's starting quarterback was out that uh, like Royce Freeman became a lot less productive. But th- again, like I think that Oregon's offense as a whole just kind of like as a, like a souffle that just collapsed on itself. It just it wasn't necessarily Royce's fault. So if you if you want to go through his game log from this past year, don't hold that too much against him. But my concern, and I've voiced this before. Uh, you know, he's coming into the pro level with, uh, you know, a thousand compensation free carries on, on his legs. Like, and, and he, he's a big physical guy that I, I don't doubt can still play in the league for a few years, but that, that is a lot of mileage to already have on you. He's got more mileage than anybody I can remember since like Cedric Benson and Michael Turner, and they both turned out okay from a longevity standpoint, but it's not what you would ideally see. I think if it, if it never ends up mattering for him, it's because he's been 240 pounds since he was, you know, 17 years old. And I I still think there's some athletic traits in both Penny and Freeman. Like I I think the, the production is just impossible if they don't have like, better agility than average for their certain uh you know body mass index something like that even if it's subtle even if it's like even if his workout numbers aren't great relative to some of the other clear freaks at running back it's still like if you adjust for size they'll come out well above the average again sure. uh, so I, I feel like both him and and penny are going to be fine at the combine but we'll see i mean samaj p ryan was a letdown at the combine and he had really great age adjusted production at oklahoma so we'll see but for now i would put those two uh out to the the sixth and uh, seventh spot at running back and then i think you're down to Naheem naheem hines is that how it said i said naheem hines yeah naheem okay yeah so he's gonna go i think earlier than he is useful in fantasy at least because after what kamara did in new orleans i'm pretty sure someone's gonna look at at a hines and say like that is kamara let's take him let's take him around earlier than we passed on kamara last year and take the lesser version of him it's 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 infuriating like it it's not like this year's kamara is a thing as if kamara comes out every draft right it's just so absurd but like like you said like that's something that's being like bandied about now uh and heinz like fits that bill like he, uh you know where it makes some sense underutilized uh, at certain times in that in that nc state backfield but uh yeah as a recruit he was, he's about as good of a recruit as nc state ever gets uh the first couple years you know coming into this year it looked like he didn't know how to play football. He had a bit of the right. Kalen Balaj thing where, where it's like, I know that he's athletic. I know that he's talented, but like it, 
he does not put it on the field at all and uh this year things got a little bit better for him obviously i think that's why he's uh garnering the consideration some of the praise that he is but uh consider me a doubter until further notice right i feel like he could be quite useful but it'll take a smart coach who doesn't ask him to do as much running perhaps like I i feel like if he turns out to have a vaguely similar effect on the game as to Kamara he's gonna have to get it as a pass catcher and it's gonna have to be because you're putting him in the slot where the fact that he probably isn't a great route route runner doesn't matter so much because he's occasionally getting a safety or a linebacker and even if he's going against a nickel corner Hines has a good chance to run a four three five or better yep. at the combine so he's out running most people that try to cover him he does have some slot record at, at uh, oh yeah he played NC State. he basically played receiver before uh, matt days uh, graduated so he has done it we yes. know he can do it and um basically i want to get Hines in that particular role rather than running from the backfield so much because i'm not confident that he can decipher the field from the from uh, behind his blockers but it could be like the kind of thing where you get him out, you know, running on a slant and he's kind of getting 85% speed, catches it, and there's only four guys that he has to deal with instead of, you know, basically all 11. Right. Like he, he could probably split the safeties in that scenario a little easier, and that's where I would try to get him the ball. So I right now I kind of worry he's going to be overdrafted based on his combine, though, and get overdrafted specifically by a team that's stupid. And because it's like, the team that wants him and isn't stupid just drafts him last year you know right the better version of him precisely yeah i think that's a really good way of framing it so um yeah the uh, kamara could almost end up the kamara comp could almost end up hurting heinz in a way like he, he it won't hurt his bank account but it'll it'll the colts will draft him yeah there and we go <laughs> and then they'll just oh, scratch him all year i, I, I wouldn't wish that they'll scratch him all year because they're like oh, he's, he's not actually kamara this is a ripoff it's like no you don't know how to use anything all right so looking at at your pre-combine running back ranks for uh, uh, from recently uh obviously that we still got some time for wiggle room uh running back that that i think the public perceives to be a lock for the first two rounds that i think you and i both find is, <laughs> is a guy that comes a lot later yeah carry on johnson yeah it's ridiculous in my opinion like we're, you got all these people who and these are smart people too that i see falling for this like normally it's just the film draft twitter people who fall for a player like carrie and johnson who uh, he basically i think just looks better on tape than his production ever turns out to be yeah, his production is like Bad. really pretty yeah yeah and it shaky. Would, like it would be one thing if um you know he had 285 carries this year he had a 4.9 yards per carry that's something that i could excuse if it was like in the two prior years when he had lower workloads he had 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 you know had you know he doesn't even have a blip of explosiveness in his numbers like if you can't get over five yards a carry in a single season when in one of those years you had 52 carries 182 in the other that means you're basically just plotting always like there's no there's there's no there's not even like the unsustainable blip in his numbers like that part doesn't even happen and, and, and you know the the people that are really really backing him strongly it's like well he runs like Le'Veon bell like he's patient, no, he he wasted, no he does not he runs like a puppet from team america <laughs> yes yeah he's, he's weird because he's like, like hoppy type of steps he's but. like listed at six foot 205 or 210 or something like that and he he does seem to have like 
I don't know, like what the term would be. Like he's a, his arms fly about like a Woody from Toy Story or something. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. So it's, it's, um, I don't know. He, he probably has some use in the NFL, but he's to me, he's like Wayne Gallman. Yeah. yeah that's that's about it. Yeah. So, and like, I, I think Gallman's like okay, get his, but get his chance running back three, while, but yeah, that's running back it. three in the NFL. He's a special teamer. Um, but we'll see. I mean, if he kills the combine, I'll have to reevaluate yeah, things. I just don't see anything that says he will. Right. I, I'm, and I put him at 12 in my dynasty rankings for running backs. And that's only because I'm trying to concede that the NFL might value him more than me. And if he gets drafted high enough, he'll get an opportunity in ways that the, the more talented players who go later will not. So uh, I had to kind of account for that, but I hated listing him at 12 too. I wanted, I put him behind Jordan Wilkins at Mississippi, who I'm pretty sure is better than him yep. uh, behind Jalen Samuels, who we didn't have a chance to talk about. He, he's weird he's talented. We're going to have to revisit him after the combine. Cause right now I just, I don't, I've never seen a player quite like him. It's yeah, hard he's to working as a tight end at the combine. So we'll, we'll have a lot to discuss on that. <laughs> right. Uh, I like Josh Adams a lot more than carry on Johnson. Josh Adams, I think is basically Latavius Murray with potentially room to be, to prove a little bit better yep. depending on how his combine goes uh, i like adams but he's, he's probably like a fourth round maybe fifth round guy uh, who probably can't start that many years for you because he's a really tall guy probably going to take some nasty hits i want to put mark walton ahead of carry on johnson i want to put ray lowry ahead of him but mark La- mark walton not sorry to interrupt you oh, no. i think uh you know he's a guy that you know on the he's on the opposite end of the carry on johnson spectrum where whereas johnson's stock exploded uh this year Walton was a guy that was kind of, you know, like a, a trendy name coming into the air, but gets the ankle injury, kind of sits out for, for the vast majority of the season. You completely forget about him. Like the Miami team is in your face everywhere, but it's all the turnover chain. So you, there's no mention of Mark Walton at all, obviously. Uh, but if you look back to 2016 and in, in the early parts of this year, I mean, I think they opened against Bethune Cookman and he was, you know, averaging like 15 yards a carry against them or something like something ridiculous. And you watch his film. He's so slick and slippery. So uh, I really like his game a lot. He's, he's small. So he's a little bit kind of tough to, to get, to get him off his he center has of that, gravity. He has that density thing yeah. going for him. Like he, he just anchors well and, and players who are stronger than him still kind of just wash over. him when they try to tackle him, cause he just grips the ground better than them. Exactly. Yeah. That, that is a really kind of interesting way of summing that up. But yeah, no, I, t- I totally see that. So yeah, Walton, Walton's a guy that like pre-combine might not be getting enough love that you're definitely going to know a lot more about afterward yeah i definitely think he's better than carry on johnson and, and mark walton has some of the same concerns with his rushing yard per carry average uh sp- specifically his freshman year he had 3.5 yards per carry but that's distorted by the fact that he was getting a lot of red zone and goal line specific work while joseph yearby did everything between the like, 20s and what's his face al golden was their coach so like throw it away what's oh just throw because of al yeah yeah definitely i just yeah he he had nine touched uh mark walton had nine rushing touchdowns on 130 carries did three and a half yards per carry but then when year be left the next year he did 5.3 yards per carry still not that good in the acc but um he had 14 touchdowns and 209 carries so he's had a very unusually high percentage of his carries basically occur in short yardage situations okay uh whereas with johnson like yeah he's had a lot of he was he was like their only short yardage option so that's you know he gets credit for that whatever it is but i don't think it was the uh, as high as a proportion as walton so we'll see this the, the combine will help sort out some of that stuff and i guess i should mention ray lowry wasn't actually invited to it which was really disappointing to me i still think he's over i still think he's good i think he still profiles as a Ma- mod bradshaw kind of player 
Um, Kalen Ballage is interesting, I guess. A lot of people really like him. They insist that the senior bowl. Yeah, they insist like he was just misused at Arizona State, and that's why he kept getting, you know, uh, basically rotated out for Demario Richard. And uh, they tried to move him to defensive end a couple of years ago. I think he's running back Taylor Mays, which makes him probably like I think he might be a good tight end conversion project. Um, but it would it would probably go the route of like a Doran Dickerson type of thing if he did that too. Huh. So I don't I don't like Ballage that much, but he's definitely a freak athlete and will. You know, at some point in your dynasty drafts, it's worth taking him. But I've never seen like I'm basing this, basing this on a Twitter, basically the, the dynasty community on there. I've never seen Ballage go at a slight discount, even like they love him. So I, I don't know if your league's going to let him slip. If he slips, take him then because he's got the athletic tools. But we've just never seen the production. Yeah, yeah, he's just yeah. I think football ta- or, uh, running back Taylor Mays is, is a great comparison because I mean this is a guy six three two thirty so may- maybe that position switch uh, is something that that could happen. Uh, but for me, like he has he has no like none of like the refined skills of a running back uh, so he just seems like a workout warrior and and not a whole lot else right and he kept he, his production was middling at best and he kept getting uh bounced out of the lineup for demario richard who I, th- I think might be okay like i think he might you know stumble into a starting season or two in the nfl but he's probably going seventh round at the earliest there we go yeah i, th- I think that's uh that's a really good way uh framing it any other uh running backs you wanted to touch on quickly before we get things wrapped up not really i i think uh the guys that we talked about are, are pretty much the ones on my radar and uh I-, I will certainly be paying close attention to ray lowry uh, at his pro day for old dominion yeah and uh I don't know off the top of my head if uh, Fordham's Chase Edmonds got a got the combine invite or not. Uh, again, not off the top of my head, but he's someone that uh, did some good things at the East West Shrine game. Uh, he's a smaller back. He's kind of like Ray Lowry. Yeah, yeah uh, but de- <coughs> definitely good numbers at Fordham. Uh, so he's someone to, to kind of keep keep an eye on in, in deeper formats as as the uh, draft process goes on. Uh, but that's going to wrap things up for us. We'll be back next week. We're going to be breaking down some of the nfl news over the course of the week and then uh deep dive into combine stuff and then we're going to do our ride receiver and tight end uh outlooks for the combine coming up uh next week for mario i'm john and we will talk to you next week thanks again whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance that's why i'm excited that unified healing is sponsoring podcasts on the blue wire network Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.